0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. I'm Vinny Kaitzi, And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So if you look at the millionaire salaries uh, today in, in Hollywood and, and on sports fields and arenas, it's easy to forget that the origins of their unions are very similar to ours. So today, we're, we're going to take a look at how sports and entertainment unions are different and how they're the same as typical trade unions like the union that we're in. But before we talk about that, we're going to throw it over to Jason. We're going to do something a little bit different um, instead of – two sections that Jason's going to talk about. We're just going to kind of wrap things up into one section because we want to make sure that we're not throwing too much information at people all at the same time. And, and we I think we feel like we kind of are. So um, Jason's going to do some stuff. It might be benefit stuff. It might be contract stuff. It might be both. Um, but throw it over to Jason. Let's talk about the contract.
1: So we've been talking a lot about our pension plan and our savings plan. And today we're going to look at letter 50, which is on page 182 of the contract. It talks about how employees hired after July 1st, 2017 are not eligible to participate in the defined benefit pension plan or the cash balance pension plan. However, our contract provides for other benefits, uh, such as the defined contribution plan. So slightly different, uh, the company agrees to provide a 4% company contribution based upon the employee's existing gross earnings into the company hourly savings plan on a weekly basis. This is an unmatched contribution. Uh, It's 4% of your gross, and it's deposited into the target date fund unless you specify otherwise. The the company also agrees to provide a supplemental contribution of $1.20 per hour for 40 hours per week, capped at 2,080 hours per year on a weekly basis, and that goes into the hourly savings plan as well. This amount was actually increased to $1.50 per hour on January 1st of 2018, And again, this is deposited into the target date fund unless you specify otherwise. There's no waiting period to start contributing to these funds. New employees can start as of their date of hire. You're also considered fully vested as of your date of hire. All other loan provisions, retirement payments, withdrawal eligibility, and other provisions follow the current provisions for the hourly savings plan. And for anybody that's curious, gross earnings is defined as straight-time pay, overtime pay, holiday pay, shift premiums, cost of living adjustment, uh, and any vacation pay as indicated in sections 9.12, 9.13, and 9.14 of the contract. It doesn't include any bonuses, severance, vacation pay other than indicated above, uh, or the deductions for before-tax contributions under a cafeteria or flexible benefits plan or other special pay. And that would be in cases such as if you have somebody on your uh, domestic partnership for health benefits or cases like that. The last thing I wanna clear up is what the contract defines as a new employee. Uh, So if an employee were to be laid off and they're recalled prior to their recall rights expiring, you would not be considered a new employee. You'd fall under the old, old contract language. Former employees who were laid off and rehired after the expiration of their seniority or recall rights would be considered a new employee. Current Sikorsky non-bargaining unit employees who transfer into the bargaining unit would also be considered a new employee. And another scenario would be current uh, Sikorsky bargaining unit employees who transfer out of the bargaining unit and then subsequently return back into the bargaining unit, they would not be considered new employees uh, upon their return as outlined in Article 8.20. All
0: right. Good stuff, Jason. Thank you. Um, Important stuff to know about, right? Um, You know, money is why we're here. So talking about you know our our money and those kinds of financial benefits that we have is really important. It's really important for people to understand what they have and don't have. So thank you for that. So let's let's start talking about what we're here to talk about, um, which is unions, right? And specifically, I want to talk about sports and entertainment unions. So question for the two of you: Are sports and entertainment unions real unions? Discuss amongst yourselves.
2: <laughs> yeah. They are.
0: Okay. All
1: right. You know, I, th- I think it's easy. We view your uh, unions in a certain way being Teamsters, and I think there's obviously different forms on the spectrum of, you know, types of unions, and we're, we're lucky to be a part of a strong one, and maybe they're not quite as strong.
0: Yep. Um, I I actually, I have a split decision on this, in, in my opinion, Sports unions are absolutely unions. I, I think they operate very similarly to to what we do. Um, entertainment unions, for me, are a different story. And 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 as we go along today and have this discussion, I'm I'm going to try to make that point. Okay. Um, so when you see these millions of dollars, right, that movie stars make on films, um, or the multi-million dollar sports contracts and six-figure league minimum salaries, you, you realize how far we are from when those industries were unionized, right? So, so far, in fact, that you might not have any idea how that came to be. Uh, Today, we're taking a look at sports and entertainment unions, how they're similar to us, how they're very different from us. How did these unions come about? How have things evolved to where they are today? Um, What are the roles of those unions now, Um, now that they're representing multimillionaire members? Because that's very different from the world that we live in, right? Yeah. Um, I want to talk about sports first, um, the, the sports unions. Let's take a look at those uh, because their origins are very similar to ours. When you go back and look at the early days of, let's say, baseball, right? They were organized in 1885. Wow. The first baseball union happened in 1885. And, and this was only nine years after the formation of the first baseball league, the National League. Um, it was 16 years before the American League even came into existence. A- and, and this was at a time when those guys were, were fighting for salaries, pensions, health benefits. They even cited as one of their first, their, their first issues lunch money wow. when they were on the road, right? They okay. weren't making good money. No,
1: and a lot of them at the time had regular jobs that they had to work to make a living. So yep. it's not like they were just doing this as their living. They had to go out, work a regular job. And actually in 1885, the top player was only paid $2,500, which in today's money, that's about $75,000.
0: Damn. So, <laughs> so just, just so you know, $75,000 is just about 10% of today's league minimum. In Major League Baseball, Damn. yeah, and keep in mind, I said that's the top player salary top player. that year, yep. so that's not the average. Exactly, not even close to the average twenty five hundred dollars a year. Um, so I think the important thing to know is they they had all of these these issues that they were fighting. Right um, again, salaries, pensions, health benefits, lunch money, um, but they had one issue that they focused on for literally decades. So that issue was the reserve clause. And, and and what the reserve clause said was that essentially players were the property of their teams. And oh, they weren't allowed to move. Free agency that you see today was not a thing, wow. right? You signed on with, with one club and you were that club's property forever.
1: And I think it capped their salaries as well. It
0: did. So, you know, these, these guys didn't have the means to make the kind of money that that they felt like they were worth. You know, they realized even back then that they were the commodity, right? Yeah. People yeah. were people were sitting in the stands to see them, not to see the rich guy who, who owned the team, but to see the players.
1: Yep. Yeah, so over the years there were three different unions, correct? There was the Players Protective Association in 1900. Yep. Then 12 years later came the Fraternity of Professional Baseball Players of America, and then, much later in 1946, it turned into the American Baseball
0: Guild. Yep, and and they all had their sights set on getting rid of the reserve clause, and and they all failed. They all failed. Um, those first three attempts at unionizing baseball came and went because they were unable to fix that problem. Right, players yep. were still yep. owned by the teams. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it actually wasn't until 1965, which is about 80 years after the first players' union was formed, that the current union uh, was formed, and that's the Major League Baseball Players Association we know today.
0: Right. Yeah. And and so, so they were formed in 1965, uh, just so you know, that's the year I was born. So that was 57 years ago, almost. Um, took that union three years and reaching out to – this this guy by the name of Marvin Miller, who was um, he was an economist working with the United Steelworkers Union. Um, he helped them negotiate their first ever collective bargaining agreement in 1968, and that led to what eventually was free agency. Right, there, a lot of things happened in that first collective bargaining agreement, which um, I think most notably was the the raise of the minimum salary yeah. in baseball from six thousand to ten thousand dollars a season, um which it was six thousand dollars for twenty years. Damn. Yeah. That so shows,
1: shows you the impact of having free
0: agency and not being tied to a team. Exactly. Um ninety years actually no jason that was the, the 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 reserve clause was still in place then they oh, wow. just raised the minimum wage um, it wasn't until 75 wow. 1975 90 years after the first union 90 years they they finally got the right to free agency um, and the the changes are obvious right Yep. The, the rewards of free agency are obvious. Um, you know, today the, the Major League Baseball Players Association is considered one of the country's most powerful unions. Um, today, Max Scherzer is the highest paid player. How much does Max Scherzer make? Anybody know?
2: $43.3 million dollars a year.
0: $43.3 million dollars a the, year.
2: And the league minimum is $700,000.
0: Yeah. So... Um, so that's what a union does, right? And that, listen, that change came since 1975. I don't want I don't want people to think that it took from from 1880 till now to do that. It, that happened since 1975, um, which yeah is a long time ago. But um, from a $10,000 league minimum salary to a player making 43.3 million dollars a year is astounding.
2: It, it is astounding.
0: Yeah, some people, you know, look
1: at the players and say, "Oh, you know, they got to be greedy or, you know, unappreciative or whatever." You know, people have an aversion to these high high salaries, but at the end of the day, these are the people like we are in building the aircraft. These are the people that provide the value that everybody lives off of. Uh so I I really don't have an issue with it. I don't either. You know, yeah. what I what I do take issue with, not to get off topic, is all of these giant teams that are owned privately that then solicit state funds to yep. build their uh, yep. stadiums, and they don't pay a penny of it back. They don't share yep. concessions, yep, uh, yep. any they, of the the money coming in. Yep, they and get they public
0: should. bond money to to pay for their stadium, and then they get a big corporation to put their name on that stadium. Yep, and, sell the naming and, rights. Yep, they sell that right, and yep. they use that money to pay back the bonds. Not to
1: mention and, they change the name, however many years, to keep you know to keep the money coming in. Yeah, keep the money coming in. Yeah
0: without question the it's all about the money folks it's not about putting a good product out there for you as a fan um and and this i blame on the owners right so is this a real union yeah it's a real union yes they have millionaire members but just like in the business we're in they aren't making the money that the owners are making. The owners are billionaires. Yeah. The players are millionaires, right? And they're just looking for their fair share. And and what needs to be considered is their careers are very short, Yeah. right? Their sure. careers last 20 years and that's it yeah. at best. So they have to pack in a lifetime of earnings into 20 years. So that matters, right? But keep in mind that these owners are just trying to do things to pull money in, right? They're trying to get richer and richer and richer. A, a, a great example, I think, is down in, in Texas where the Houston Texans play. They have in the stadium a Chick-fil-A. Oh, okay? It's a Chick-fil-A restaurant inside the stadium. When do we play NFL games? What day of the week?
1: Sunday. Sunday. Well... Is Nowadays Monday Chick- is Monday is Chick- Mondays, Thursday.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. but is, is Chick Fil A open on Sundays? No, I don't know. And and I can tell you that the Chick Fil A that is inside the stadium for the text for the Texans is not open on Sundays. So uh-huh. when the Texans play a Sunday game, Chick Fil A is closed. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because the owners getting buku money from Chick Fil A. Yeah. yeah, to be in there, right? So this is not about making sure that you get your Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, right? It's about the owner getting that big check from Chick-fil-A. Um so, you know, do these players have a reason to unionize? Yeah, they do. Absolutely. They they have they have issues that continue to be issues today. You know, revenue sharing and um nat- you know, just getting their piece of the pie, right?
1: Yeah, and you know, an interesting thing for us to look at, maybe on another episode, would be minor league baseball. That's where the real abuses happen. Yeah. They are not it sure. Is. Is.
0: Yeah, um, <clears throat> it's a whole different life. They're not paid in
1: preseason, from what I know. Um, the conditions are just terrible, and these are people that are working full time to get into the MLB.
0: Yep, they're they're working their butts off, and they're they're spending most of their life on a bus going between you know between games. Um, you know they they work on very low salaries with maybe a per diem for for food and and some travel expenses. I don't know, but yeah.
1: 2018, the MLB spent major money lobbying the federal government to restrict minor league wages. Um, and it's <laughs> oh
2: my god.
1: And then you know, as far as what they pay them for when they're considered you know on the clock, the amount of training that goes yep. into being prepared. And these guys actually don't have any input on which team they're going to play for until they get out of that league, which is a lot of times at the age of around 33 from what I'm reading. Yep. There so, is
0: no free agency there.
1: Yeah. So the the best part of their career, the early part, is, you know, taken up by yep. – really futile, uh a feudal system yeah
0: un- unless they're superstars and they can get into the big leagues real quick right sign a major league contract and then everything changes
1: yeah congress actually weighed in and uh, they did restrict the uh, there was a decision to restrict minor league wages and it actually gave them a slight raise so now the minimum league salary is $1,160 per month and that went up <laughs> $60 from 1100 Um are so- you kidding me Imagine yeah. being a, you know, a young aspiring player and trying to live off that.
0: 1200 bucks a month. Yep. Yeah, no way. Wow. Wow. Um I I'm actually blown away. <laughs> I'm blown yeah. away. And by really,
1: that. you know, it's not just them. The highest paid minor league players are pulling in a little bit more, but it's about 2150 per month.
2: Damn. Wow.
1: So and th- they're all working in excess of 70 hours per week and the pay structure caps them at 40 hours per week. <laughs>
0: So, uh, so, so if you don't think these players need a union, they uh, do. Think again. Yeah, right? and
1: the only advances they ever get are through collectively resisting the owners, threatening to withhold their labor. It's all the same principles that we all follow throughout yeah. the labor Absolutely. industry. Absolutely. Yep.
0: Yep. So, um, you know, good for them for doing that when they do that. You know, but unfortunately, you have scab players who, you know, they come and they they play and. People still plunk down their money and buy tickets to a minor league game and watch scab players play. Um, (sighs) Not me. I'm not watching that. So, you know, we could kind of go down the list and talk about all the sports unions and and I won't do that. But I do want to talk about hockey a little bit as well, because I think hockey has a bit of a unique situation. So their players association, the NHL Players Association, was formed back in 1967. So that was really that was the first unionizing effort for them. So a full 80 years after baseball unionized, uh, hockey unionized Um, at the time. 1967. At the time, players were making between ten and fifteen thousand dollars a season. They had no pension, no health care. Um, pretty much all of them were working summer jobs to feed their families because you, you can't live on ten to fifteen thousand dollars yeah. a year, not even in 1967. Um, so there's a story about how their players' union got started. There was a player by the name of Ted Lindsay. Um, he he played for the Detroit Red Wings. Um, He started the union movement because he heard the story of a fellow player by the name of Tim Horton, who was a star player for the Toronto Maple Leafs um, and who also had to work a second job. This guy was a star in the league, but he worked construction during the summertime. Um, Horton broke his leg during a game, and um, per the league rules, he wasn't paid while he didn't play. Broken leg, not playing, he's not getting paid. Yeah, um, He had no health care insurance because they didn't have that, um, so he had no income. He was paying medical bills out of his pocket. He struggled to keep his family fed, right, food on the table and a roof over their head. Um, when he returned to play, he wasn't really as much of an effective player as he yeah. used to be, and the Maple Leaves. Right, no negotiating. The Maple Leafs cut his salary the following season. Damn. Right, so now he's making less. So, so Ted Lindsay, his organizing efforts were were met with the same kind of union busting that we see today from big business. Right, Um, Lindsay was actually traded to Chicago, um, where the union effort wasn't as um, welcomed by players, so he had trouble rallying players who were in favor of the union. Um, other players who supported the union effort were also traded to places where it wasn't as popular um, or even banished to the minor leagues. So some players were sent down to the minors just because they were trying to organize a union. Damn. That's a hell um, of
1: a punishment. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, you talk about the, the bad conditions of baseball's minor
0: leagues. Yeah. Same thing in hockey. Oh, for sure. If not worse. Yeah, yeah probably worse. Um, so this is what they did, right? The, the league engaged in some pretty aggressive union busting. Um, so it took 10 years to get enough support to stop the league from punishing players by trading them or sending them to the minor leagues. Um, and, and again, in 67, they actually formed the union. Today, guy by the name of Connor McDavid is, who plays for the Edmonton Oilers, he's the league's highest-paid player. He makes $15,000—I'm sorry, $15 million a year. Um, and their league minimum is even higher than baseball. The league minimum salary in the NHL is $750,000.
1: Yeah. You ever watch McDavid play, he's worth the money. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah.
0: Um, but the salaries are much more reasonable, if you will, in hockey. I think because, you know, hockey as a league, the NHL as a league doesn't have the revenue that baseball has, right? They're not pulling in the amount of money yeah. that baseball pulls in. So, um, you know, it, it's kind of relative, right? They're They're making huge salaries relative to what the owners are making.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely been a long fought battle for their members, though. There's been a, a long history. The National Hockey League Players Association is one of the most combative unions in pro sports. There have been multiple lockouts over the years. And uh, in two thousand four, the owners actually canceled the entire season after a breakdown in collective bargaining. Damn. Incredible. I don't know if people remember that year, but I
0: think I, I think I do remember. No hockey that.
1: for a year was a little rough.
0: <laughs> Heck yeah. So, yeah, you know, listen, these unions, these sports unions have very similar origins to ours. Um, it, it's why I'm a pretty big advocate of sports unions. Um, I don't see it the way other people see it. You know, there's so many fans out there say, oh, they're just greedy millionaires. They're greedy millionaires. They want more and more and more. They, you know, that's not the case. You know, they're just looking for a fair piece of yep. the pie. Um, the bosses are greedy. Right? Please take a look at the bosses. Don't ignore the fact that these folks are billionaires. Right? And, and I've had the argument with people that, you know, that try to tell me that, you know, owning a, a major league sports franchise is a break even business. It is not. <laughs> Yep. These people are not buying sports teams because they love sports.
1: No, and if you look yeah. at the resale yeah. value of anybody who's bought a team and then sold it, yep. it's astronomical. Yeah, it's course. one of the best investments for. It, it's I've- a
0: great investment, and that's why these folks are doing it. These folks are not big sports fans who just want to, you know they 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 want to hang that banner in their office. Yeah, they are investors, and they're trying to make money, and they are making money. They're billionaires, so don't begrudge the players um what they're due because again you're buying tickets to go to yankee stadium or go to fenway park or go to madison square garden to see those players yeah you know we no other reason
1: we all know they're running a league with what they think are the best players in the world they're trying to get the best talent they can to attract people to you know come see them and these players, not only are they the best at what they do, but they're sacrificing their bodies and potentially their health for years to come. Yep. You look at football players, they had the uh, traumatic brain injuries right. leading to, you know, suicide, depression, violence later yeah. in life. Um, Obvious other injuries that, you know, affect their quality of life. Yeah.
0: A so, disease that you can only detect after death, by the way. Yeah. Which is pretty sad.
1: Yeah. So these, you know, they're putting their bodies on the line. Yeah. And these owners are making tons of money off of it.
0: Yep. So, you know, these guys have to, you know, they they need to band together and form a union um, in order to, you know, fight that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and this permeates all sports. It's not just on the pro level. It happens in minors. And interestingly, it actually has been discussed on the collegiate level, too. These players add so much value to these universities. You look at, like, March Madness. You look at the different tournaments... Uh, these players are given a free education, but they commonly work in terms of their schoolwork and then their training and their practicing and playing games, traveling for games. It's crazy hours.
0: Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, and and so, yeah, they get a free education, right? So high-end, let's value that at $250,000. Mm-hmm. So these kids are are raking in millions of dollars for the university. Yeah for for a 4 year salary of $250,000.
1: Yeah, now college athletes can be paid. They, they actually can. they just changed the law. Yep. They actually um college football refused to give if you remember Reggie Bush, he was unbelievable at running back. Yep. They refused to give him back his Heisman. They took it away for allegedly accepting money as a student. Right. But I can't even imagine having that kind of skill, having people offering to pay you and, oh, no, I'm not allowed to take yeah. it. Yeah, the, the,
0: the players have uh, – yeah, they just won – recently won the right to be able to take money for things like having their image on a video game and things like that. I yep, don't think they can, they can draw a salary from the university yet, but – I think they should, personally. Um, You know, I don't don't think I'm an advocate of them making millions, but I think I'm an advocate of them making some money, right? Some what my father would have called walk-around money. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, these kids, I don't know if you know this, but the NCAA has a rule that these kids aren't allowed to have a job. Right. They're not allowed to have a job like another student has. Wow, I didn't right? know that. No, they can't. They can't have a job. If you're a student athlete in the NCAA, you can't have a job. So you can't even – and a lot of these kids come from pretty poor backgrounds yeah. where their parents don't have the means to send them money, right? So they have – their, their friends want to go out for a burger and fries on a Friday night. They can't do it because they can't afford to do it. Yeah. That's pretty sad. That is sad. For yeah. kids who are, again, bringing millions of dollars into those universities. So, so again, you know, players form unions because of the same reasons we do, right? Poor working conditions, low wages, lack of rights—same um, as our roots, all right. But I have a very different opinion of entertainment. <laughs> well, uh, keep unions. in mind we
1: do have Teamster Entertainment Union. So,
0: okay, but the but but the Teamsters Entertainment Division is not representing actors and yeah, actresses and and folks. Like they're that. the crew, right? Yeah, they're they're representing you know. Cameramen, yeah, and, and um, people so, like that.
1: So for anybody out there in 399, or is that the right one out
0: of California? I don't know. Yeah, I think <laughs> we're I not think talking to you, right? We're not talking about that. I think it, I think it
2: is 399.
0: Um, it, no, let me let me make a, a very clear distinction. When I talk about entertainment unions, um, I'm talking about really the one, right? The, the Screen Actors Guild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the Screen Actors Guild does not represent crew members. Um, they represent actors. Yeah. Right. And, so, and they rent.
1: They represent a range, right, from like the highest paid to very low paid. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sure. Um, so, the Screen Actors Guild was established in 1933. Um, this was at a time when actors were locked into these multi-year exclusive contracts with studios. They weren't able to choose what films they were in. They weren't able to choose their career path and and in some cases as i did research on this the the studios actually actually set them up with other actors and actresses um put them into relationships and marriages like arranged marriages building a brand yeah pretty weird stuff that is weird stuff because this is good for the studio so let's have you go date this person um pretty weird stuff but um I, you know, I don't think they had the power the power to make people do that stuff, but they certainly had some influence over it. and um blacklisting was a big deal with studios, right? It was how they punished actors and actresses yeah. who who didn't follow their orders
1: um being locked in sounds a lot like the baseball reserve clause we just talked about too. yeah, you know it's it's yeah. funny we have different industries, but the tactics are typically the same or pretty. Pretty yeah. close.
0: Yeah, they were. They were. These these contracts made them the studio's property, right? And and some pretty famous uh, actors tried to stand up against them. Most notably, uh, Betty Davis. Betty yeah. Davis stood up against um, the the her studio and said, you know, I'm I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to choose my films and all this stuff. And they blacklisted her, and she didn't work for years because she couldn't. Nobody would give her a job. So that's how they, you know, that's, that's how they kept all these folks under their thumb. Yeah. And it, it, it sounds horrible. And, and I guess it was horrible, right? Um, it, it, took 15 years for the Screen Actors Guild to fight the studios and, and break out of that stuff. In 1948, the Supreme Court actually rendered an antitrust decision against Paramount Studios that freed the actors from these kinds of restrictive wow. contracts. Um, In 1950, Jimmy Stewart was the first actor to negotiate a percentage of box office grosses in a contract, right? Um, And that's a common practice today, right? Actors all the time enter into contracts with studios where they will get a piece of the draw, right? They'll get a piece of the box office. Um, But but let's be clear, right? When the Guild was founded in 1933— Actors weren't oppressed workers, right? When we talk about the baseball players and the hockey players having to work construction jobs um, to make ends meet, this was not the case with the Screen Actor Guild members, right? In 1933, the highest paid actor made $315,000 a year, while the highest paid studio executive made $104,000 that year. Wow. okay so so these were not oppressed workers I yeah. want to be really clear they formed the Screen Actors Guild to break out of these restrictive contracts but these restrictive contracts were only keeping them working for the studio. They were still getting paid a lot damn. of money to work for these studios right um, three hundred fifteen thousand dollars in 1933 is nine and a half million dollars today damn. Right, so so someone making nine and a half million dollars, you're you're not gonna you know you're not gonna cry poor, you're yeah. not gonna feel horrible for them. So they don't have the same origins as we do, right? The Screen Actors Guild, to me, okay, uh, may, maybe I'm going too far by saying it's not a real union. It is a real union, I guess. Um, <laughs> I still, yeah, I have a little bit of trouble with it. I do. I have a little bit of trouble with it. Um, but you know they they serve a purpose. I, for me, it's more like a law firm that's been yeah that's been put on retainer to represent the interests of actors and actresses. Right, that's the way it feels to me. They don't feel like a union to me. One thing
1: that struck me was everybody remembers Alec Baldwin with the the recent gun incident on yeah. set. That kind of shined light on working conditions on movie sets and some of the issues and how big talent a lot of times drives their schedule, their demands drive the working conditions of everybody else. So, you know, for us, our contract is the same for everybody. It's unbiased. It's not, you know, written for one person. Yep. Um, but it's interesting how in those industries it kind of changes and melds into a different, uh, environment.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more.
2: Uh, yeah, I was going to say about the Alec Baldwin thing, uh, I believe they were using non-union workers for that, or there was some kind of labor thing going on at the time. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think they actually had union workers on that said this isn't safe, yeah. walked off, and yes. then brought in scab workers. Yeah,
0: I, I I think I read that, too. I don't want to say absolutely 100% yeah. that's the case, but I think I read the same thing. I think thing. I read that. There, so there were lots of problems on that set, and and that's the thing. So. Where does the union come in, right? Did, did the union step in and file a grievance? Did the union take—the union as, a, as an entity, did they take any action against that studio? I don't think they did.
1: I mean, I think they walked off. The, yeah.
0: th- those particular workers walked off. Right. But that's not a union action, right? If y- the union takes action, workers across the country walk off the job.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure for that industry.
0: Right. So, uh, but and that was actually a different union. That wasn't the Screen Actors that Guild. That was IATS. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. That was yeah. that was the the union that represents the the, the crew. Bro. Right. So the again SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, did nothing. Right. They didn't take action to protect, not just protect Alec Baldwin, but to protect actors across the country like him. Yeah. Right. Who may be in danger because of studio practices yeah
1: or more importantly the crew yeah as as we saw in that case yeah
0: for sure so i i still you know i i have a lot of trouble talking about the screen actors guild and saying yeah they're a union um they're they represent actors in a certain respect right in a certain way but uh are they a union
2: i I don't know didn't we have a president that was a, a former president of the screen actors guild we did. That know? was a union buster.
0: Yeah, we did. Which, okay, that's just more evidence uh, f- on my side of the argument, I mean, right? The, uh, there's a guy who was the president of the Screen Actors Guild and and didn't have respect for unions yeah. because the Screen Actors Guild is not really a union.
1: Union buster in chief. Hey, one thing I wanted to add, you brought up Jimmy Stewart before how he negotiated a percentage of box office grosses. Uh, One other one from hockey that I recently heard about, uh, the great Wayne Gretzky, he actually had rights um, before they made the Anaheim Ducks he had rights that if anybody in the L.A. region within so many miles created a hockey team, he would get an ownership stake in that team. Wow! How did he pull that off? It was he, he in his own words, he said back then you could ask for anything in your contract, and that was one of the things they came up with.
2: They don't wow. call him the great one for nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and at the
1: time, he, you know, they didn't know that that was going to come about. And coincidentally, when the Anaheim Ducks came into fruition, he waived his right to to oh, be wow. a, a part owner.
0: So, you know, that's really interesting, and that brings up a point about both sports and entertainment unions. Um, you know, again, I'm an advocate of the sports unions and, and believe that they serve a valid purpose today, but you have to be aware of how they work, right? So there's a collective bargaining agreement between the union and the league, and it, and it spells out certain... Um, certain conditions that have to be met, right? League minimums and things like that and, and free agency and and revenue sharing. But players within the union still have the right and actually not just the right, but the obligation to negotiate their own contracts with the team, right? Those contracts, I think, cannot violate the overall collective bargaining agreement, but um, they have the right and obligation to contract with their teams so it's a contract within a contract right so that that's a different dynamic you know i don't go and negotiate the terms of my salary with sikorsky aircraft and sign a contract with them Mm. right so it is a different dynamic and obviously actors do the same thing right they they contract with studios to do films or whatever else um you know but does the Guild even have a collective bargaining agreement with studios? Nothing I don't think I they do. Of. I don't think they do. Again, they're not a union. They don't have a collective bargaining agreement. Unions engage in collective bargaining. That's not what they're doing. They are They are a, a, an oversight organization that represents, yes, they do represent... The actors, um, but it's more of like a lawyer-client relationship.
2: They do give out uh, awards and stuff.
0: (laughs) No, they give out awards, right? Does that make them a union? No, it doesn't. (laughs) But I just don't think it does. That
2: one just struck me.
0: Yeah,
1: I guess in some industries they take a backseat to like the function of an agent you know
0: exactly um and that's fine listen they serve a purpose i'm not i'm not knocking them i'm just saying that in my opinion in the context of this conversation they're not really a union
1: yeah right i mean i think what steve's trying to get at is having the right to have whatever agent you choose that can come up with a clause like gretzky or or like jimmy stewart to get some sort of compensation that's never been had before that's fine that's awesome but a true union should be putting in collective bargaining protections that protect the weakest members Absolutely. or the lowest paid members. Right. And I think that's what's lacking in some cases. Yeah,
0: and I don't think the Screen Actors Guild does that. And and if I'm wrong, please, comms at Teamsters1150.org, um, send me an email um, and tell me I'm wrong and tell me why I'm wrong and tell me where to find the proof that I'm wrong and I'll come on another episode and, and, and we'll – talk about that right but i don't think the guild is engaging in collective bargaining to your point jason to protect the weakest of those of those folks right Mm -hmm. to protect actors who are making you know 50 grand a year
1: yeah and and to be fair i you know we already talked about how in sports it it is still the most vulnerable the minor leagues where the
0: conditions are the worst so and and we got to get on that right the major league players association needs to address those and i think they i think they do make some overtures to try to address those situations but you know the reality of it is that they they represent the major league players right they represent the big league players
1: yeah like i said they're uh, the minor league is not part of of the right
0: they're players not part association. of the union right Okay. So good discussion. Um, if you have something to say about it, please let me know. I got a feeling that maybe people will have something to say about it. Perhaps. I know, I know that we have at least one member of local 1150 who is a former or maybe even a current member of the screen actors guild. If you're listening to this, give me a shout, tell me why I'm wrong. Cause I want to know. Yeah. Right. So, um, but, but it was a good discussion. Um, so what do we got for upcoming events?
1: So we've got the TVC Golf Scramble coming up Friday, May 20th at Orono Country Club. Starts at 1130 in the morning. There's uh, breakfast for everybody, $150 per golfer. Uh, You can have a foursome, go out, you get breakfast, have a nice round of golf, end up having a meal afterwards. There's a dinner. Everybody drinks, have a good time, bring some cigars and... Some day people eat, sun. too. <laughs> yeah, a few people eat. Yeah, you know, there's raffles throughout the day, and obviously it's for a great cause. Our sure. TVC yes. is an amazing group. They obviously benefit the veterans, so come on out and make sure you come out. Yep.
2: We have our membership meeting coming up on uh, May 18th at 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. There'll be a food truck there.
1: Yep, food truck? Yeah, Micro's coming uh, back. Micro's
2: coming back. Nice. Awesome. That's a great one. And uh, let's get these contract surveys in. We want to we hear from you, so... Please keep on filling them out.
0: Yeah, good effort so far, but we need we need a better effort, right? Uh, we have 4,000 members, so we should have 4,000 contract surveys. Yep. Right? We, we actually want to got
1: 4,016 members. 416. Uh, and there's eight errors right now. So if you're one of the eight people having trouble getting into that system, just shoot us an email at comms at teamsters1150.org. We'll make sure that we get you in.
0: Yep, for sure. Um, so Vinny, What do we got as far as labor activity, what's going on out there? We
2: have our our general president, Sean O'Brien, and Chris Smalls, the president of Amazon uh, Labor Union, testified before the Senate Budget Committee uh, this past week. Cool. The hearings were about if Amazon should get government contracts from our federal government while they're uh, using uh, union-busting tactics on their workers.
1: If I could
0: chime in, no, they shouldn't.
1: (laughs) No, they shouldn't. Well, they're also getting state government contracts and and state government (laughs) tax exemptions. They shouldn't get that either.
0: (laughs) And they're building
1: these plants, and then they're using out-of-state workers, bussing in out-of-state workers to do the construction. Mm.
2: So I got got a nice quote from uh, Sean O'Brien here. To put it plainly, it is wrong for our government to be giving taxpayer dollars in the form of federal contracts to companies like Amazon you are rewarding employers who repeatedly know, knowingly and purposefully violate federal labor laws, drive down wages and standards in core Teamster industries and create dangerous working envir- environments. That's our uh, our great general president Sean O'Brien. Awesome. Connecticut is about to be the second state to pa- we passed the law but it as it's going to the governor's desk and uh, Governor Lamont is expected to sign it that would uh, law against captive audience meetings. It's not an all-out ban. It's going to allow workers to uh, opt out of sitting through those meetings. And it also in anything to do with uh, labor organizing or religious or political matters. Nice. Good that's to be able to stuff. opt out yeah. of that. Yeah, that's good to know. What else? Uh, workers at Pratt-Whitney ratify a three, uh, new three-year contract. Approximately 3,000 members of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, District 26, Local 700 in Middletown, Connecticut, Local 1746 in East Hartford, Connecticut, voted to ratify a new contract with Pratt-Whitney, a Raytheon t- Technologies company, for three years. Some of the highlights are improving job security language, including new work, strong yearly general uh, wage increases and in, uh, pension uh, multiplier Improvement in personal time off and vacations. Oh, I like that one. Solid, uh, solid improvements in the healthcare plan with a minimum average savings of twenty four hundred dollars, inclusive of premium and out of pocket expenses. Severance pay and re education improvements and more.
0: And that's really important for us, right? Because that's it's our industry essentially. Yeah. It's yeah. a benchmark, yeah. Yeah. For right. sure. Yeah, it's it's a benchmark. Good good word. And um, for
1: anybody new, it's a company that we used to be you know, tied to yes. in that yep. we were both owned by UTC for a long
0: time. Yep. But, you know, as I always say, it's easy to negotiate with the IAM because um, they're not the Teamsters. So <laughs> the Teamsters are up next. They're on deck. Yeah. Um, so That's Sikorsky, good. pay attention because we a, need more.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: So just like every episode, we're going to end this episode with a labor quote, um, hopefully from a labor leader or someone who's involved with labor. So what do we got, Vinny?
2: So we're doing something a little different this week. So I have a I have a, a quote from Chris Smalls when he was testifying in front of uh, the Senate Budget Committee on May fifth. Hit it. You forgot, and this this was an exchange with a with a senator that was more pro business. You forgot the people that make these companies operate. If we're not protected, the process for, uh, for when we hold the companies accountable is not working for us. That's, that's the reason we are here today. The reason I'm here to represent the workers who make these companies go. And I think that it's in, in your best interest to realize that's not a left or right thing. It's not a Democrat or Republican thing. It's a worker's thing, a worker's issue. We're the ones that are suffering in the corporations you're talking about, the businesses you're talking about, in the warehouses you're talking about. And he continues to say afterwards, the people are the ones that make the companies go. It's not the other way around.
0: Awesome. That's good stuff. Um, Chris Smalls out there doing a great job, spending a lot of time with our general president, yes, he Sean is. O'Brien. Um, so uh, my guess is he's learning a lot. Um, and that's a good thing.
1: It's good to see labor sticks together. Absolutely.
0: For sure. So that's it for another episode of the 10 to 12 podcast. Um, we're actually going to be off next week. We have some vacations going on next week, so don't look for a new episode next week. Um, but in two weeks, we're going to be on location at the TVC golf scramble in Stratford, Connecticut at Orono country club. Um, first time that we're attempting to take the show on the road, Uh, So I hope it goes well. I think it will. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to do that. Um, So if you're going to the scramble, look for us, right? Look for the guys with the microphones and headphones. Come on over. Say hi to us. Maybe we'll sit you down, put you in front of a microphone, um, and and have a little conversation. Don't know what we're going to talk about. We're going to kind of fly by the seat of our pants. Sounds good. But it sounds like I think it's going to be a fun time. Um, so remember to email us. Tell us what you like about the podcast. Tell us what you hate about the podcast. It's comms at Teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at Teamsters1150.org. We really appreciate you listening. We really appreciate you downloading. We really appreciate you following us. If you're not following us, shame on yeah, you. On go, to pod, go to Pod Podbean and follow us. Um, so... For now, I'm Stephen French.
1: I'm Vinny Cayetzi.
0: And I'm Jason Shoemaker. We'll see you next time.